Hi, I'm Brad. Welcome to Strange for History, the podcast where I talk about, you guessed it, strange history. This is an older episode, recorded and produced before the podcast started to get attention, before editing was done to episodes, before I had a good feeling for how an episode of Strange for History needed to sound, and before our rebranding to Strange for History. These old episodes are not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of stuff here that I'm really not proud of, like audio glitches, bad dialogue, poor editing, and segments that needed to be dropped, like the interviews, or like the rapid-fire history facts. While you're welcome to start and listen from here, I would recommend that you fast-forward to episode 12, Spanish Civil War, instead. Either here or there, I hope you enjoy this journey that we will take together as we explore many of the things that make us, us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this little podcast, and even if you do not continue past here, I do so very much appreciate you and your time. Uh, Briefly before this episode begins, I am filming this in one of my classes today. So you will hear some small interruptions as the process goes. Um, You'll hear my phone go off a few times. You might hear conversations in the background. I'm trying to get this podcast, or this specific episode anyway, out as quickly as I can. I've had a lot of delays because of classes and work schedules and personal life issues. And I do apologize for that, which is an apology that I've made many times now. Um, Just try your best. Bear with me through this one, okay? It's going to be a little bit complicated for all of us, but this is a pretty good episode. I'm really, really confident that you guys are going to like this one. Remember, remember, the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. There was once a plan to topple a government, a plan of such renown that today, 400 years later, we still know of it. Its failure would lead to festivals that lasted for years, evolving into the celebration known as Bonfire Night, today in the modern United Kingdom. It was a treasonous plot, which shall and should never be forgot. Remember the, f- remember the 5th of November, when a group of men descended below, with 36 barrels of powder in tow. Under the House of Parliament they went, and with dastardly intent, there they hoped the powder would blow. Episode 7 Remember, remember. Now, before we start to learn how terrible I actually am at poetry, we need to first understand what led to the famous gunpowder treason of 1605. Unlike a few other episodes, this one will actually track over a few years with long periods between major events. So try to bear with me while I fill in and flesh out the details. Between 1533 and 1540, King Henry VIII managed to control the majority of the English church, which sparked several decades of religious tensions in England. Eventually, Catholicism became marginalized. However, the practice of worship would still happen, even under threat of torture and execution. In September of 1533, Henry's daughter Elizabeth would be born. 
she would rise to the throne in 1558 and would refuse to name a successor in a good and adequate amount of time. She would, in fact, remain childless and would never marry, leading many to believe that she was not a legitimate fit for the throne. Many Catholics believed that Elizabeth's sister Mary was, in fact, the legitimate heir to the throne. However, Mary would be executed for treason in the year 1587. In the months before Elizabeth's death, on March 24, 1603, the Secretary of State, Robert Cecil, secretly made moves for Mary's son, James. James, however, was not the only one who had a claim to the throne, and as many or few as three individual people made movements for the throne at the same time. They were, of course, James, Elizabeth's cousin, Arabella Stuart, and the daughter of Philip II, King of Spain, a woman named Isabella. Despite all of these claims to the thrones, the transition of power was rather smooth after Elizabeth's death, with James slipping quietly onto the throne the same day she passed away. Although James was rather tolerant of the Catholics in his country, he never made any moves to end their decades of persecution. There were several plots to remove him from the throne over these years, but by 1605, very shortly into the reign of King James I, things started to get complicated and very out of hand, and eventually a plan was put into motion to deal with the young king. Robert Catesby, a good-looking man of ancient and storied lineage, decided the only way for Catholics to no longer be oppressed would be to simply destroy and kill the entire government. He would be involved in the Essex Rebellion of 1601, and Queen Elizabeth would allow him to live, although he would be fined 4,000 marks, which is around $6 million in today's currency. Two years later, in 1603, he would ally himself with a man named Thomas Wittenauer, and the two men would attempt to convince Spanish King Philip II to invade England in an attempt to help the Catholic peoples there. Unfortunately, Philip would refuse, as he wanted to make peace with the newly crowned King James. In 1604, after another two-year hiatus, uh, Catsby invited Wittenauer to his home and told him of his plan to blow up the House of Lords. The men present agreed to the plan, and things were put in motion. On March 25th, the men purchased an undercroft they had been tunneling into, located right underneath the first floor of the Parliament building. It is needed to mention that undercrofts were very common things, places of storage, workshops, and the like, and it was not uncommon for people to use these for their intended purposes. Eventually, around July, around 20 barrels, each around 100 pounds, were brought in and placed in the undercroft, with 16 more barrels coming towards the end of the month. If you're not good at math, that's 36 barrels or 3,600 pounds of gunpowder, just shy of two ton. Unfortunately, the reopening of Parliament would be delayed for a second time, pushing the date of the plan back again. Due to an anonymous letter sent to the king, the plan would be foiled. Conspirator Guy Fox would be arrested inside the undercroft carrying matches and a lantern. He would protest that he acted alone and that his name was John Johnson. However, after being tortured in the Tower of London, he would eventually confess to the crimes and name his friends as accomplices. The other men, now cross-country, had taken shelter in a house on the borders of Staffordshire, where they would eventually be besieged by Robert Walsh, the sheriff of, the sheriff of Worcester, and around 200 other men. 
all men who survived the initial escape, siege, and eventual capture would be executed opposite of the House of Lords by being hanged, drawn, and quartered. Guy Fawkes, though weakened from his torture, would throw himself from the gallows and break his own neck, as to not endure the rest of the torture alive. The gunpowder treason would be ingrained in British society for a number of years, and would eventually spread to her colonies as time passed. Fireworks, bonfires, and effigy burnings were commonplace, but celebrations, stop or celebrations around the stopping the event would eventually come to a halt as Catholics became more and more commonly accepted. The festival did spread to the U.S. colonies as well, but stopped being a focus after the American Revolution. As of today, Guy Fawkes Night, as it is commonly known, is something more of a fun holiday, featuring an extremely extravagant fireworks display and a massive bonfire but it has lost a lot of the primary focus. Guy Fawkes' night occurred on November 5th, and is slowly dying out more and more as each year passes, seeing fewer and fewer people coming to witness the spectacles. Upon the day of writing this episode, the date was March 29th. So I'm just going to stick with that date for our historical event, seeing as how I uh, am almost an entire month late on this episode. But our historical event takes place in France in the year 845. Now, this would be something absolutely breathtaking to see. A fleet of what was estimated to be around 120 Viking longboats slowly making their way up the CN. 4,000 raiders descending on France. And according to rumors and legends, their leader would be none other than Ragnar Lodbrok, the famed Viking warrior. The Viking forces would square off against the French military, which would attempt to ambush and attack them from both sides of the river. The attack would be a massacre and bloodbath, with the Vikings taking 111 POWs and executing them to gain favor with Odin before moving on towards the city of Paris. Paris? <laughs> I tried to say Paris and Paris at the same time, and I apologize for that. That was a terrible blunder. Uh, the Vikings would stop their siege and plunder Paris after being given 7,000 livres, or French pounds. From what I can gather, a livre today is worth around $263.08. So the total payout the Viking Raiders would be receiving would be around $1,841,560, give or take. Now, that number is only if my math is absolutely spot on, which is something I can guarantee it is not. Math is not one of my strong suits. Apparently, neither is time management. It's also worth mentioning that there are some major doubts as to whether or not Ragnar Lodbrok was actually present during the Battle of Paris, as it is possible that the name Ragnar was simply a common name at this point in time. Now, just because you guys deserve a little bit extra since I messed up so much lately, I'm going to give you another historical event for today. Today's date is April 26th, 
1954, the Selk polio vaccine field trials, which would involve 1.8 million school children, would begin at the Franklin Sherman Elementary School in McLean, Virginia, USA. Children in the United States, Canada, and Finland originally participated in the trials, which were used for the first time and are now the standard double-blind method, where neither the patient nor attending doctor knew if they actually gave the patient a vaccine or a placebo. One year later, in 1955, researchers announced the vaccine was safe and effective, and it quickly became a standard part of childhood immunizations in the United States. In the ensuing decades, polio vaccines would wipe out the highly dangerous disease through the majority of the Western Hemisphere. I feel like this is an important thing to mention because also in 1954 was the advent of a medication referred to as stresomycin, which was the effective cure for the disease we know today as tuberculosis. All of this and the quarantines around both polio and tuberculosis kind of tie into what we're dealing with today around the, the COVID situation. And I feel like that's just kind of a really interesting thing to toss in is that even though we know and understand history, even without our thinking, it is still repeating itself. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Strange for History. I hope you enjoyed learning about today's subject and it was a lot of fun having you with Brad, not me. (laughs) You'll have me if you start on episode 12. You can find this podcast on many different places, such as Facebook and Twitter. That's at Strange, the number four history, and on all major streaming sites as well, such as Google, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, um, even Good Pods, those indie ones, or really wherever your ears are listening. We at Strange for History appreciate your companionship and hope you continue to enjoy learning about those strange, weird things that make us us. <laughs>